Dr. Mario Sakasa here, and welcome to another episode of the Always Hope Podcast. Mindfulness is a buzzword in the field of mental health. Studies have shown its effectiveness for treating a whole host of issues from anxiety, depression, and chronic pain. What is mindfulness, and why is it helpful? Moreover, recognizing that this practice is rooted in a Buddhist spiritual tradition, how does a Catholic Christian appropriately integrate mindfulness into their lives? Is there an appropriate way, or is it something that we should stay away from? Answering these questions with me today is Dr. Greg Bataro, founder and executive director of the Catholic Psych Institute in New York. Dr. Greg is also the author of the book, The Mindful Catholic, and has a lot to say about how Catholics can appropriately use mindfulness to help gain better focus and awareness in their lives. In today's episode, we talk about what mindfulness is, the effectiveness of the practice, when it is in line with Catholic spirituality and when it isn't, the concerns with the metaphysical teaching that undergird this and other Eastern meditative practices. That's to say that why we can't ignore what secular mindfulness teaches about the bigger questions. Who are we and is there a God? We get back to the conversation and discuss why society is moving towards a new age mysticism and how to trust your inner compass and learn from your mistakes. I'm excited that this is my first episode interviewing another psychotherapist and that I'm able to talk about a particular issue that is in vogue in counseling and psychology today. This is another great episode and I'm so happy to be able to share it with you. And after it's done, please subscribe to the show and leave a comment. Those comments truly do help others to discover this podcast. And now let's get into this interview with Dr. Greg Pitaro. Well, Dr. Greg Bataro, welcome to the Always So Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, thanks. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, I know there's a thousand things that you and I could talk about um, and a thousand things that you and I have talked about before <laughs> recording <Sure>. this show. <laughs> but uh, the, the focus for today is I, I want to talk about your book, uh, The Mindful Catholic, as well as the online course, the Catholic Mindfulness course that you have there at the Catholic Psych Institute website. Um, so let's just start basic, all right? Mindfulness right now is kind of a buzzword within mental health, within counseling, within psychology. Um, just briefly describe what is the practice and why is it getting so much buzz and attention right now? Well, the practice itself very simply is to, to learn how to uh, pay attention to the present moment without judgment. So to just be aware, to be awake, to be alive, these are different ways we describe it. And it's, it's really awareness developing a sense of awareness, knowing what's going on inside your mind and your heart, your feelings, your thoughts. Um, that's, that's the practice. And then there's a lot of applications. So in the mental health field, we're typically talking about something that's been standardized as a protocol to teach the practice of mindfulness over a course of eight weeks. And that's uh, primarily known as mindfulness-based stress reduction or MBSR. And then there's a number of derivations that have come come out since that original program was developed in 1979. And I think um, I think you know I think what what prompted the the huge proliferation of the practice and the, just the becoming such a buzzword and becoming so sort of pop psych pop culture kind of uh, idea is 
it, it just started to really take root in the mental health field through the research. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those really neat, you know, kind of experiences in life where something is developed and researched in a lab and then it becomes enormously popular at the same time. But it actually has the data to back it up. So what is the research so, saying? What, what, how effective is it in helping people with stress reduction, uh, anxiety, depression, or, or even other negative cognitions that one might be having? Well, that's, that's just the thing. It's so incredibly effective. The data shows that by, by learning this protocol, um, it, it originally was developed to, to help patients at a pain clinic who are dealing with chronic pain. And some of the original data showed that it was as effective or even more effective than even taking morphine to, uh, to deal with chronic pain. And, and so that's already very striking. So in a lot of cases, they're using this to either supplement or in lieu of medication, uh, help patients deal with, first of all, the chronic pain. And then the, the studies branched out from there and uh, depression and anxiety are very dramatically affected by the practice. And, and from there, it's just gone on and on. I mean, people's, people use mindfulness now for everything from personality disorders to eating disorders and, uh, you know, exercise regimens and basically everything in between. So it, it's really because it's striking at the core root of what it is to be human that I think that it has such dramatic effect because of what we realize and know about the person and the integration of who we are, and especially the, the sort of unity between our, our spiritual and physical selves, what we're doing in our minds and our sense of self really does affect every other aspect of our life. Well, say more about that. I mean, it, it seems that um, we do live in a disjointed age um, where we are disconnected from our mind and there's so many thoughts and ideas and concepts that are constantly bombarding us with the phones and advertising on TV and everything. It just seems like we're, we're in such a rush. It's really hard to be present in the particular moment that we're in. How then does the mindfulness exercise or practice allow one to be better at just doing that? Well, it takes, it takes a little bit of discipline up front Mm -hmm. and there has to be a choice there. Like I'm actually going to do something different. So I have to unplug from the phone or I have to turn the TV off or you know, kind of intentionally sit down to set some time aside. But because it's so directive in clearly giving you a practice, it, it has very quick fruit. Mm. It bears fruit very quickly. So the sacrifice that you're making to make the effort in the beginning uh, is rewarded. And all of a sudden you realize that you really are living your life in a way that's very distracted and and unplugged from the what's actually going on because you're so plugged into all these other things where we're just being fed and told what's going on. So you're making that decision to to actually unplug. You're making that decision to say, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to try to just engage with my breathing um, and engage with my my senses and my awareness and draw my awareness to 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 what I'm feeling right now. Um, exactly. And. And I noticed that like I have an Apple watch and my, my son's got, you know, a Fitbit and stuff. And there's all these breath exercises now that, that <laughs> yeah. are, you know, these reminders that were just, Hey, just, just breathe, just breathe. 
uh, why, why just breathing? Why, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I got to move. I'm a mover. So, so why is it, why is it good just to take a few minutes just to breathe? Sure. I mean, the breath is, is really interesting. It's, it's, um, it's a kind of a central focus of the, of mindfulness as a practice. And it's uh, on a physiological level and sort of on a basic practical level, there's really nothing too special about the breath itself. I mean, there are lots of physiological, psychological reasons where the breathing is connected to our sympathetic nervous response and our, our neurological system in general. But, uh, I, just as a practice, I think it's a really effective training tool because the you're you're learning different things along the way through the course or through the practice of mindfulness. And it's all about paying attention to something in the present moment and in, in, with this training of how to do that non-judgmentally. So the breath is a very convenient tool to learn how to do that because it's always with us. And there's a distinction in, in the practice between things that are sort of static and then things that are more dynamic. And it's easier to pay attention to things that are dynamic. Like you just said, you like to, you're a mover. So one of the easiest exercises to teach is a walking exercise and it can guide people on how to pay attention to the present moment non-judgmentally when you go for a walk. So there's, there's this, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bit of um, a misunderstanding to think that this kind of practice means you're sort of sitting, you know, in lotus position on the floor, oming to yourself or something like that. It doesn't have to be that way. It could be something as simple as walking and actually walking is a lot easier than just sitting on the floor. The breath is a bit of a mix. So it, it, it helps us to calm down and to settle down into a, a position where we're actually going to have to do the practice in such a way that we're, we're, we're challenging ourselves and growing in our ability to focus. But it also is changing because the breath with the in-breath, with the out-breath, there's movement. And so it's really interesting to practice paying attention to that for even five minutes and and if somebody is leading the exercise, they'll guide you to pay attention to the way the breath feels going in your nostrils and out of your nostrils, the way temperature changes as breath comes in and breath goes out, the way that your chest rises and falls, the way that your clothes feel on your body as they're shifting around. So it just at the end of the day, it's just a very convenient teaching tool to help people learn how to pay attention. I think that's, that's the most important thing to understand about the breath in terms of these exercises. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and the piece that you just said is that you have to make a sacrifice. You have to be willing to, to be intentional about paying attention to your breath or be intentional about paying attention to how you're walking. And I know there's many different exercises, kind of beginners level exercises that one can incorporate. But the, the long-term studies, what do they show when people really incorporate this into their life? I know that you've, you quote some, some neurological studies that are, that are in the long-term. Like what are just the benefits that, that people have um, when they live with mindfulness? Well, there's parts of the brain that are, uh, that are sort of focused on, well, that are active in focusing. And they help us to, when we have a better developed brain for focusing, we're aware of more things that are going on in our life and we have better control over our path. 
you know, so we're, so we're, we're actively making decisions that are better for us. We're actively aware of the effect of those decisions and we can see outside of the box in terms of solving problems. So even in, uh, even in the eight week program, the, the original protocol where they could do now brain studies and have brain imaging, they show those parts of the brain before and after eight weeks, there are observable changes in the brain itself. So you can see a before and after picture of the brain scans and see the blood flow and even the physiology itself and the brain changes over eight weeks. And we can attribute the, the changes in the experience regarding focus, clarity of thought, uh, a, a kind of mental energy and um, like sort of mental alertness. And then also creativity, interestingly, is, is closely related to this as well. And so people, you know, and this is why, you know, when, and if, if you think about it, when we're, when we're engaged in the opposite of mindfulness, which is a kind of survival instinct way of thinking, where we're kind of running for our lives and we're on this autopilot, we don't have a lot of out-of-the-box thinking. There's not a lot of creativity. We don't really have time for it. In the course, we explore all these connections much deeper, but they're, you know, we're, we're built to enter in a, a mindset when we're trying to solve problems, and that's usually what is created by rumination, where we're kind of spinning our wheels, trying to solve problems in our mind, like, what's going to happen if this conversation goes bad? How can I anticipate every angle? Or we ruminate about things from the past. When we're in those mind states, which are the opposite of mindfulness, we don't really see outside the box, or we don't have that kind of creativity to see the big picture. It's when we come back to ourselves in the moment, you know, we take a breath, and we even say that, it's a part of our common language, that we see outside of the problem. So there, there are many different ways that the brain is just ultimately healthier by developing this practice. And the practice itself really is an exercise, like we talk about physical exercise, sort of strengthening the muscles of the brain and we're becoming healthier by doing it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and specifically, too, just to, to get back to your question, yeah, I mean, it, there's just lots of data that shows decrease in, in depression. So people who have depression and they take, you know, they, they do assessments before and after, um, they show a radical decrease in depression. Uh, sometimes instead of medication, and then almost always the data shows that in conjunction with medication, the effect is much better. Um, and same thing for anxiety disorders. So anything from any, any of the, any of the anxiety disorders, they, they show a, a great reduction in symptoms and experience through the practice over eight weeks. That's amazing. And I think what, what I enjoy about it when I've incorporated it into my own life is, is that element of, um, like you, I hate to say it this way cause I am a doer, but you, you, you are doing something to make your life better. Um, you know, when, when you take medicine, uh, sometimes it's just a passive game. You just want to take it because you don't, you want to have an alleviation of the symptoms. But with the mindfulness, when you incorporate that into your life, it's almost like you're, I don't know if I'm saying this right. You're, it's like, like you said, like exercise, like you want to lose weight or something. You have to actually have to engage in trying to live a healthier lifestyle. You have to engage in, in dieting. You have to engage in exercising. And, and because we're, we're so much on the, the, um, 
defensive end of life, I think, because so much is coming to at us that we're put in this fight or flight stage and this survival mechanisms and all that is activated. When we when we take a moment to breathe and to stop and to try to just be attentive to to my surroundings, to my experience, um, I don't know. I, I just I, it, it's. It's cool, for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's really a great experience of, of tapping deep into our potential as humans, right. which is just what I love about this so much. It, there's so many ways that this course, you know, when I teach it, it's a very unique and different way than, most, than it's mostly taught. And um, it's because it's coming from a Catholic perspective. And so it, it taps deep into our anthropology and our, our humanity. So, you know, the fact that we have so much that we're capable of, like you're describing here, there's so much we can do to actually be in control of our lives. And just just the very fact you look around and you see so many people are in the defensive mode. And even even just, you know, not even just abstractly about sort of like life in general, but it's like down to the nitty gritty, the practical you know, most people are running around frantic or feeling at least like they're just so busy, you know, like I couldn't possibly find time to read another book or, you know, I don't have time to do this course. I don't have time to, you know, actually have three meals a day with my family or, you know, it could go on and on. I mean, there's so many, we're just always like, oh, how's it going? Oh, so busy. It's like just a knee jerk reaction to answer it that way. And, and in a sense, we're really just in that passive mode. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And so that we do have more control in our life. And I think that's, that's very encouraging. I know even from my own life and experiences, I like, sometimes I doubt that sometimes I'm like, Oh, it's the system that keeps me down or, you know, it's the circumstances that I'm in. And, and while certainly this truth, we do have limitations and we have to operate within those limitations, but, but I just want to encourage people, I guess, generally just to say that, listen, we, we have a little bit more control over our life than, than I think we give ourselves credit we have, for. We have so much control. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and God, and that's not to say that I don't trust in the Holy Spirit or that God isn't going to guide me. Of course he is. But God wants my will to be engaged in my life as well. And that's the classic definition of holiness is, is my will conforming to God's will. And Absolutely. So just growing within that and that this is just one experience. This isn't. Mindfulness, as we're saying right now, isn't like the end all be all isn't going to be the thing that's going to solve all the problems, but it's just one more tool that you can put in your, in your tool belt that can help you live a healthier life. Well, mindfulness itself is definitely not the end all be all, but the course <laughs> that I teach ultimately ends up at, at week seven, at, at week seven and eight, we end up at God's mercy and, and being created out of love and the ultimate meaning of our humanity being in the, in in this dynamic relationship with God where he is our everything and anything we have in our rest in him. And ultimately that is the ultimate answer. Like <laughs> that's the end all be all right there. That is absolutely. That's, that's what we're hoping for. That's, that's the, that's the end game, man, that, that we get put into that eternal love. That is the Trinity. That's um, the end game. Yeah. And it's the start game. Like that's where we come from. You know, it. so it's, it's really this process of learning where we come from and where we're going. Yeah, amen. And, and once we have that grounded and we really know that about ourselves, then life is easy. Hmm. There's so it's like all all the the conflict and the tension and the you know the things that we normally ruminate about and are actually anxious about are just sort of washed away in God's mercy, even to the point of death. 
death itself is conquered by God's love. And so when we learn how to actually implement that mentally and live in a way that's psychologically in tune with that spiritual reality, that's when life becomes really beautiful. You're listening to Always Hope with Dr. Mario. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Dr. Greg about Catholic mindfulness. Please, when the show is done, check me out on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Mario Sacasa. I look forward to dialoguing with you on those platforms. Now, you teach it from that perspective, but... I mean, I venture to guess a little sarcasm here. The majority of people who teach mindfulness practices aren't coming from that experience or coming from that reality. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so the, I guess my, my question is, I, people probably hearing this and they're like, man, this is great. I want to go run out and, and take a mindfulness course or I, I want to go try this. I want to go learn it. Or maybe there's people that are like, listen, that thing just sounds way too Eastern, way too Buddhist for me. Um, I'm not really in line with that. And so I think that's really where I want us to kind of shift our, our conversation for is really teasing out then the distinctions in when mindfulness is congruent with Catholic thought and, and when it isn't. Um, where I want to start here is, and I know you're familiar with this document, in 1989, Cardinal Ratzinger, Ratzinger released a document entitled Letter to the Bishops of the Catholic Church on Some Aspects of Christian Meditation. Anybody looking for this, I'll have a link for it, you know, in, in the show notes here, but you can certainly do a quick Google search. And he just beautifully outlines uh, the concerns and, and the good uh, with integrating these Insta practices and where kind of how to navigate, you know, this stuff. Um, one particular paragraph that I want to draw attention to for our conversation, he says in paragraph 12, um, kind of laying out three levels, if we can say, of, of incorporating um, or integrating these type of outside practices or Eastern practices into kind of a, a Christian uh, spirituality. And the first one, he says, at the level which is appropriate, which is, I think, what, what you uh, propose in the book and in the course, is to be able to use some of these mindfulness techniques. It's not just mindfulness, but some of these, some of these um, uh, exercises, if we can say that, um, as a psychological means of being able to focus one's mind to aid in their contemplative exercises and their Christian exercises. The second one would be uh, using it deliberately to try to have some spiritual high, um, which would be a, a no-no. Um, and then the third one would be to, and what I mean by spiritual high, I mean by, by trying to elicit some type of a mystical experience. So, so not just the natural high, but even trying to, to do these prayer, these breathing exercises specifically to try to elicit some sort of preternatural experience, um, which, which would be no. And then the third one is making the claims then that the metaphysics are the same, that the, the Buddhist way of thinking and, and claims of nothingness are on par with what you just proposed about the end game being, you know, love. Um, let's just dive into it. What, what do you think about these distinctions? You know, how do you make sense of this in, in your own practice and in the course that you teach for people? Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I, I mean, Pope Benedict is, is just an absolute genius and a total boss when it, when it comes to this kind of precision <laughs> Yes, he is. and, and just <laughs> this cutting through, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's unfortunate that more of the world does not know his, his thought because it's, uh, it's so necessary and needed, but it, it is, even within the church, especially within the church, it's it's within those who teach and and uh, practice within the church. I think it, uh, there's a lot a lot of people could probably use a little bit more Pope Benedict in their in their <laughs> reading. 
But um, I would agree. <laughs> you know, I think I think that uh, myself included in that category. Of course. Uh, I, you know, that's the, so. Just to back it up a second. First of all, I I teach it as as not a spiritual practice. So I teach it to start as a mental exercise. In other words, we practice. You know, you you practice memory exercises. You might do crossword puzzles. You might practice Sudoku, you know, where you, you, you know, you fill in the numbers and you make the boxes equal out. And like, these are all just different things we do to keep our brains sharp, our minds sharp. And in, on that sense, in that sense, uh, mindfulness is the same kind of thing. We're exercising a certain portion of our brains with our minds to, to increase blood flow and neural activity in certain parts of our brains to make us uh, better versions of ourselves on that physiological level. So that practice could be applied to anything. I, I, when I'm, when I'm going to do some grocery shopping, you know, I'll make sure that I'm actually in the moment and really being mindful when I'm looking through my fridge to figure out what it is that needs to go on the list. If, it, if I'm driving, I'm, I'm practicing mindfulness to make sure that I'm paying attention to the, to the stoplights and I'm paying attention to my directions. So this is just a way that we can live better lives. Um, when it comes to prayer, it is incredibly powerful to have our minds strengthened in these areas because I, I, I have prayed countless upon countless rosaries where I've lost total sense of where I am in the mystery or which rosary, which decade I'm in, or, you know, whether or not I've repeated myself in a certain prayer or holy hours in front of the blessed sacrament, where I spend half the time wondering about my grocery list. And the mindful practice is to recenter ourselves on what we are doing now in this moment. If what we're doing now in this moment happens to be praying then we're going to be focused on that prayer more effectively than if we were not. And so that's, that's where mindfulness begins to have an effect on our spiritual life. And, and what Pope Benedict wrote about in this letter, I, he also uses this phrase where he talks about confusing the two of the, the, mental, uh, the mental highs that you said, with a spiritual high, he said, "Do not consider, do not confuse the two. He says that, that that leads to a kind of spiritual schizophrenia, which I love when he uses that when he used that phrase. <laughs> yeah. Basically, you're 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 detaching yourself from reality. And so, a great example is somebody who's sort of like maybe they go do their yoga." And they do their meditations, their little mindfulness exercises, and, and uh, you know, they, they, they feel so good about themselves. You know, they're totally centered and at peace in the world because they're doing all this stuff. And then they're, like, cheating on their spouse. You know, so they're, like, dealing with their guilt and they're dealing with their sinfulness, and, but making themselves feel good through these practices and, and that is a spiritual schizophrenia. That person is actually divorced from his reality or her reality. Whereas a true spiritual consolation and spiritual high 
should come from living a moral and virtue, virtuous life. And then we should feel conviction. We should feel lack of peace when we are not living in accordance with God's will and his law. So that, that, that's where we want to make sure that whatever the practice is, and that's just a kind of general principle, I think, that can be applied to everything, including whether or not you, you feel some consolation or some high from, from mindfulness as a practice. I think that's great because that distinction is is very important, which is that when you look at it as just an exercise, uh, then it's it doesn't have all the the metaphysical uh, spiritualism claims attached to it, where it's just it's just a mental exercise, like you said, like with Sudoku or crossword puzzle or anything else that you do to to keep your mind fit. But because it's value neutral, then it can be used in a way that would actually run contrary to to the faith example you gave of, of somebody then using mindfulness exercises to uh, center themselves, even though they're doing something objectively, you know, sinful or, or morally inappropriate, which is doing damage to their soul, but, but they feel centered and they feel kind of grounded, which is why then that, that this confusion or that distinction needs, needs to be made so that there is no confusion, excuse me. Um, because there are cases where I, I would imagine the people then are only seeking the calm of the mindfulness exercise or the calm of that, that experience. And then they, they rather do that, then pray the rosary, then do the holy hour, then read the Bible or to do something else that I'm talking about Catholics or Christians who, because their subjective experience feels calmer, feels better when they do mindfulness over than, than doing some of the prayer exercises. Um, what, what do you say to, to those circumstances or those situations? That they're that they're using that the the exercise in lieu of prayer or instead of prayer. Yeah, absolutely. Or that yeah, they, no, they I, feel more drawn to the exercise because subjectively they feel calmer after they've done the exercise rather than doing thirty minutes praying the rosary. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's hard. I don't, I don't want to make a blanket statement mm-hmm. for just anybody at, mm-hmm. at any point in their in their journey. I think, I think, um, you know, it takes spiritual development and and certain maturity to sort of grow into an appreciation of the rosary or appreciation of the mass or appreciation of Eucharistic adoration. Um, you know, so I, I, I do, I do want to answer the question with a bit of delicate sort of reverence for each individual person's spiritual journey. Yeah, amen. Um, you know, okay. and I do think that God can encounter us because ultimately I, and I, I made this caveat or I clarified this when I was answering the question earlier that's how I start the practice of, of in the course and in, in how I describe the practice. But through the course, what I see when I say Catholic mindfulness, that's encompassing more than just the exercise of mindfulness. And that starts to grow into also the presence of God and um, ultimately God's mercy. But it's connected to this practice is connected to what then then can become prayer, which is abandonment to divine providence and trustful surrender and a kind of practice of the presence of God. And so there's, there is a stillness because the reality is that God is present with us always. And the more that we tune into the present moment, the more we're lining ourselves up to meet him there. And, there may be, uh, you know, a sense of stillness and peace that is deeper than just something psychological. 
And that may be the beginning of, of real contemplation. Um, so again, I, you know, with some, some reverence to that sort of uniqueness of the journey, I don't want to discount the, the reality of God's true presence when we're, when we're practicing these things. Um, but at the same time, they, uh, that always has to be, our subjective experience always has to be uh, balanced by and ordered by a sense of objective truth as well. And so certainly when it comes to, you know, our duty in worship to go to mass or the value and the merit of praying a rosary or, or being in adoration, um, sometimes those things don't feel like something we want to do, but we (laughs) really should be doing it anyways, which is why prayer is often considered a kind of work. No, I I think you're right on it. Um, and I appreciate your, your, sensitivity to where people's faith journeys are. And I 100% agree. And I think Ratzinger kind of in, puts that out there also, just with, in the, again, back in that letter, um, to not confuse the two, or sometimes it's easy to confuse the two because our bodies are are pretty amazing when it comes down to it. I mean, we, we really live in our experience of life in, in our human flesh is, is pretty spectacular. And we can achieve some pretty high highs and, and so the, the ability to, to develop awareness or sensitivity um, into my spirit, into my interior, um, and, and recognizing that there are certainly, using the, the language of, of Ignatius here, there are certainly some non-spiritual consolations and spiritual consolations, and God is operating certainly without all of that, um, but that we want to be able to grow in the spiritual life, the challenge of the spiritual life really is, is being able to really be attentive to, within myself to say, all right, this is the Lord operating within me. This is not the Lord. Not really sure where it's coming from, but it definitely is not the Lord. And one's grows, I think, again, over time, but one grows in maturity, one's one dedicated to the spiritual life of really being able to know within yourself what you're experiencing and when it is God or when it isn't. Absolutely. That's a sensitivity that develops over time. And in fact, my course uh, the second course, which is the follow-up to Introduction to Catholic Mindfulness, is on discernment of spirit specifically. So it really has a natural progression. I even kind of I allude to it in the first course, but we are growing in that interior awareness. And so Saint Ignatius has a um, his his discernment of spirits are are well studied and and well written about by a priest uh, by the name of Father Timothy Gallagher. If your audience is not familiar with him, I definitely recommend uh, checking him out. And his conceptualization of St. Ignatius, he says that it, the, the exercises teach us how to, uh, how to develop awareness, then understanding, and then action. So it's like this three-part development, awareness, understanding, action. And the way that I teach the course is that the, fir- the first course is awareness, it's learning how to wake up. It's learning how to be aware of what the interior movements are that are inside of me in the first place. And then the second step is understanding. And that's where the spiritual exercises come into play. And with similar kind of precision that we're talking about here, uh, St. Ignatius helps us to like really define and understand what these different movements are. So it's, it's really kind of when it comes to the voice of God, it's like, okay, number one, you have to unclog the ears so we can hear the voice of God and then realize that he speaks kind of a different language at times that we were not taught. 
So we need to learn how to translate what we're listening to. And that's where the exercises come into play. But there's a deep uh, congruity between the two. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And, and again, just encouraging people that regardless of where you are in your spiritual life, to, to be patient with yourself and, and that it's always a growth. There's, life is developmental. I, I'm, I'm fundamentally just convinced of that. I know that's a very counseling-esque term, but I, <laughs> I just, but I just believe it. I really do. I just believe that, that we're all on a journey and that we're just trying to make sense of things. Um, and so don't, don't ignore the voice of God within you. And even if it is little, like if the mindfulness exercise help to be able to, to grow in attentiveness of what that is, then, then awesome. But in general, just being able to grow with greater certainty about how God operates within your life. Absolutely. And it's so awesome too, how, how human God is mm-hmm. and, and how he created us in that image where, I mean, this is people's experience normally anyway. Like even without spiritual development, even without, even without this education, I mean, how many times have, and I look back on when I was much younger and, you know, mistakes I made in high school, you know, people that I thought I wanted to date or like, you know, jobs I thought I wanted or situations I wanted to get into. And after everything kind of hits the fan and, and you realize where the mistakes were, you look back and you think to yourself, like, I kind of knew there was something off about this. And, and you realize that there, we, we have inside of us this compass that moves us towards truth, goodness, and beauty. And, and oftentimes when we go off course, we realize it and it becomes very clear to us. And so this process of learning how to be aware, learning how to understand is a way to just go all in and activating that system, you know, really understanding the way that God made us in that system so that instead of waiting till after we make the mistakes and being able to look back with, you know, hindsight being 2020 saying, Oh, I see right now where, where God was maybe <laughs> telling me I was going the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. You could do it beforehand before you make the mistake. <laughs> you can hear his voice and avoid the mistakes. Yeah, no, but you learn by, you learn through those mistakes. So then when you look back at those experiences you talked about, about, you know, dating a girl or not wanting to, or making these mistakes or whatever, you, like, you know, that you felt something in that moment. And right. so when and you ignored it or, or something else got in the way or whatever it is. But when you look back on it, you could draw attention to that and say, oh, that's, that's what it was that I was feeling. Exactly. And how am I feeling that now to be able to guide my decision-making as I move forward? Exactly. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Mario. And I wanted to take another pause to share a brief story that has nothing to do with this episode. The other day, I had to contact my credit card company due to fraudulent activity on the statement. At some point while I was on the call, the representative interrupted me and said, you have a great voice. Are you on the radio or something? (laughs) I laughed and I said that I host a podcast called Always Hope that blends my counseling experience and knowledge of the Catholic Christian faith. She replied, well, well, darling, you are a godsend because... And then proceeded to tell me her current difficulties specifically about her daughter's marital troubles. Yes, this type of stuff actually happens to me often. Random people will start telling me their story because I think it says counselor on my forehead or something. But this was the first time that it had occurred as a phone call. And I'm sharing this story with you because I want you to pause the show 
and take a second to pray for this woman, her daughter and her daughter's husband. Pray specifically that mercy, courage, and wisdom may manifest in this circumstance. And once you're done, hit play again to hear the rest of my interview with Dr. Greg Bataro. Now, I mean, everything we're talking about is within the context of a Catholic viewpoint, a Catholic worldview, a Catholic understanding of, of God, that love is what created us and love is what redeemed us and, and love is ultimately what will fully sanctify us and that it's in this relationship that's there. But I mean, again, I said this earlier, I don't think most of the people who are you know, teaching mindfulness are coming from that Christian worldview. Um, and so as we've talked about it and the distinctions that we've made and the nuance that we've brought to this conversation, I'm, I'm on board. I'm, I, I, I agree with and I practice those exercises in that way. But just kind of broadly, if we could just step back a little bit, um, this is more of a cultural question um, to you, Dr. Greg, is it, it just seems that as the society as a whole has become more secular, we, we are moving towards these um, new age uh, spiritualisms. Uh, in lieu of authentic spiritual, authentic cat, Christian um, religious practices, what, what do you think about that? I mean, why why do you think that we're moving in this direction um, as as society, and, and why do these kind of um, Eastern meditative practices become um, uh, attractive uh, to 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 our contemporary eyes? Sure. Well, I think you know, I think to to sort of globally speak about this briefly, I think we just see that modernism as a as an evil is, and that doesn't mean things modern are evil, but when it's talked about as an ism, where, you know, we're talking ultimately about a kind of relativism and a loss of God and a sense of having any kind of objective order and law to follow. So in other words, there is a right and wrong, and there are right ways to live and wrong ways to live, and we should judge wrong ways to live in, in relation to the right ways. But the, the further we go deeper into this modernism and relativism, we're losing sense of any of that, which means that we have to cut ties from God, who provides the foundation for a, a kind of moral objectivity. And the fact is, we can, we can do those mental gymnastics, but we're never going to divorce ourselves from our true identity as being created in the image of God. So... The further that we divorce ourselves from truth and our true, the true nature that we're created in uh, mentally as a culture, you know, the, the, the cry for reconnection to something of God is going gonna, is gonna to grow louder. Uh, and so, you know, I think that there are many ways that we seek spiritualism, spirituality in a, in a loose sense as an antidote to that, because on some deep level, we realize as a culture that we're moving further away from who we really are. And then we find it in little pockets. And that's where some of the new age stuff is really attractive. The, the thing about all this new age stuff is it comes with the license to, you know, to not ground yourself in any moral objectivity. Right. And, and that's why it's really dangerous because it's feeding the need for the spiritual dimension in a, in a really false way. It's like McDonald's, you know, it's fast food. And, you know, we think it's, it's actually satisfying our hunger, 
but we're, it's not based in anything that's true, good, or beautiful. It's not based in what we're made for, really. And ultimately, it's just going to make us sick. Yeah, and then to continue to do those exercises like you talked about earlier to alleviate whatever sense of guilt I have or to wash it away as if it's just a, a feeling that rises and then decreases, that it's, it's, it's leading us away from, from our true end. Um, and I think people, I don't know, I, it, it's very much in vogue in our profession right now. I mean, it seems like everywhere we turn, people are incorporating Buddhist practices and it's being sold as, and again, listen, it's, it's being sold in a way where it's value neutral. Um, there's no real metaphysical claims or questions, and it's just an exercise in and of itself, which in some cases that's the truth, but I've listened to some lectures about uh, mindfulness I've, I've watched some other courses um, related to the topic, and inevitably it seems though that you can't ignore the metaphysical claim, and right. and so at some point the metaphysics has to be discussed. Uh, the the larger questions and how this practice fits within a larger framework actually has to be discussed. Because um, one of the ones that that gets tossed around that actually kind of scares me to be honest is the notion that the the self is an illusion, right? Um, and that the the goal is really absolute nothingness. Well, that's the foundation of it. I mean, that's especially with mindfulness. It's almost absurd to to not talk about the metaphysics. And the more serious teachers will, um, you know, the more sort of like pop, you know, pop psych kind of foofy sort of, you know, just out there to make a buck kind of people, I think, are are just really dancing around the surface. But at the end of the day, mindfulness works because it overrides our instinct to feel like we're in danger. There's two, you know, just to really simplify it, there's two basic mindsets. One is that we're in danger and one is that we're safe. And mindfulness is about turning back to the present moment because in the present moment, typically, like 99.99% of the time, our lives are not being threatened in that moment. So our, our survival instinct is built to protect us when our lives are being threatened. And most of us are walking around with the same mindset, the same brain juices flowing as if we're really being threatened in that moment because we've activated that fight or flight system because of some problem that we're turning over in our head. So the, the answer is remind yourself that you're safe. And that's what happens when you focus on what's real in the present moment. So I'm not saying you're thinking I'm safe, but when you touch your chair or you feel your breath, neither of those things are posing life-threatening realities to your brain. So your brain automatically will just know that you're safe. The, 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 the metaphysics is why are you safe? How do you know you're safe? Even if your breath is not posing a threat to you, how do you know that you know there's not a tree at this present moment cracking over your head about to fall on you? Or that there isn't a fire, you know, building underneath you from a floor below. I mean, there are things that could be happening in the present moment where you actually are in danger, or you might be about to encounter one of those threats. There's only two answers. There's the Buddhist answer and there's the Catholic answer. So Buddhist mindfulness is predicated on the, on the reality that there is no self, like you said, 
that all being is one, that there is no division in being. And what that means is there's no God, there's no self, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no love. This is what people, this is what kills me. If you ever try to tell somebody who's into new age stuff, oh, that's great. You're going to, you're going to play with some Buddhist ideas. Well, you know, you're giving up love, right? (laughs) Because you can't have love when there's no self or no other people to love. So love is an illusion. Everything is an illusion. Pain is an illusion. Well, so therefore you actually are safe because not being safe is an illusion. That's the Buddhist answer. The Catholic answer to practice Catholic mindfulness, you are actually safe at all times in every present moment because we have a father who created us, who keeps us in existence, and who loves us. Therefore, we are safe, and therefore we can put these exercises into practice and have a brain state that's not in the threat mode. So we have to talk about why we're practicing this. And little by little, the realities will seep into the practice depending on who it is you're learning from. So if you come to my course, you're definitely going to get the notion that you exist in the love of God. And if you spend enough time with Buddhist mindfulness, you're definitely going to be hearing the notion that you don't exist as a self and that everything that you perceive to be a diversity in reality is an illusion. And so I guess if people are interested in this as a practice, certainly they can go to your course, but let's say they want something locally and they don't have anything that's available within a a Christian or Catholic context. What what are options for them if they do want to go into a meditative group? What what kind of yeah conditions would would you would you uh, offer for somebody who's interested in incorporating this? Well, so I I'm you know I have some balance in the way I would answer that. I would say though I do think it's really rare to find a Christian or Catholic based mindfulness. I I it's really something that I've been developing myself and in terms of getting deeper into the metaphysics and exploring and explaining everything else behind it, I've really not seen anything else out there. Um, So I would definitely recommend at least starting with my course, because part of what I do in my course is to go through how to navigate that when you're out in the world of Buddhist mindfulness. So I, you know, I tell my students, you certainly go on YouTube, you can find exercises that are safe to practice, definitely. But there are certain things that you want to look out for. So, you know, really simply, um, like what we're talking about, like the, the sense of self. You know, whenever the, whenever the exercise is led by somebody who starts talking about your sense of self as not real, that's really dangerous. Um, whenever you start talking about the union or the unity between all being that we're one with the universe we're one with all all everything that we perceive that starts to be really dangerous and these are these are actually really dangerous um, because the exercise is attempting to lower your defenses that's the whole point of the exercise is to actually make you drop your guard on a conscious level which also helps you to uh, drop your guard on an unconscious level And so you might sit here, you might be listening to me say this right now, like, okay, I know we're not one with all being. I know that I really exist. On a conscious level, that may be true. And you may be able to discern that out. 
But when you enter into a deep exercise of mindfulness, you're, you're shutting down your judgment. And then you're receiving really openly, depending on how well you're practicing, really open receiving whatever is being said to you in that moment. So there, there actually is a concern here for making sure to, to be able to discern well what is a healthy or safe practice if you're coming from a Christian worldview versus not. So that, that last thought right there, um, what would be the danger if you believe that? If you believe that you are just nothing and that the, you're one with everything? Well, then, then really that kind of throws everything else into question. You know, people start to uh, question the reality, question their faith, question what they've been taught, question, you know, when you start to get into that kind of, it, it can create like an existential kind of crisis. You know, you start to really kind of wonder, you look around, you're sort of walking down the street, you see trees differently and you wonder about people and do I really, am I getting the whole story here? You know, like these little seeds that get planted from these ideas can start to take root and really sort of branch in our brains into ideas that will really throw us off. And so I think, you know, a lot of, you can see this in a lot of sort of nihilistic philosophy and, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of relativism that can come from that as well. And then on the spiritual dimension, there is a whole spiritual world here, a, a real battle between powers and principalities that we're unaware of. And uh, the way that these spiritual realities can enter in through these doors of philosophical or intellectual doubt or, or confusion, uh, I think those are very real. Uh, and so, yeah, we have to be on guard against those things. Yeah, I would agree also with that. And, and being and mindful of what the thought is that's kind of coming in. And again, also with these practices that, that things are happening at the, the natural level um, in my own intellect and making sure that what I, more my, how I'm forming my conscience is in a way with truth because my will will follow my intellect. Um, but then also just even that last piece that you said is, and this is, of course, the, one of the, the greater concerns that people rightfully point to, which is with this rise in the secularism and then this rise in this New Age practices, is that those can become gateways or entry ports for, for those evil spirits and presence uh, to be able to, to, to get within us. Absolutely. Um, and so I don't say that to scare people, but it is sobering and there is a reality there that we can't ignore um, and that we can't just say, well, it's all the same because it's not all the same. And I guess what we're trying to do and what I've tried to do with this episode here is to help people to say, okay, well, let's, let's navigate um, and find the line uh, where we can take something that is good. Even if it comes from outside of the Christian tradition, we can look in and say, this is good, but it's good in this context and it's good for this reason. But when it looks like this other reason or when it's in this other context, it, whatever the practice is itself no longer ceases uh, to no longer is good or it ceases to be good, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Greg, I, I certainly appreciate the conversation that we've had um, diving into mindfulness and, and just in general, the larger kind of questions that the people have and, and how to help people navigate with, within a secular world and a pluralistic society. Um, final questions, two final questions that I ask all my guests. The first one is, is there anything else you'd like to plug? I know you talked about the, the, the course. Um, how can people access it? Is anything else that you would like to, to take an opportunity to, 
to tell my audience about? You know, I think um, just on this last note of the spiritual battle, part of uh, I kind of do some other work on the side with uh, a mission in Haiti. And I have a a priest friend of mine who is a missionary priest in Haiti. And uh, we're actually just launching a, a mini course, like a workshop which is for supporting the mission. 100% of the proceeds will go directly to his mission in Haiti. Um, and it's on spiritual battles. So he's a, uh, he does a lot of deliverance ministry in Haiti. And so he, he confronts demons and, and uh, spiritual realities on a daily basis. And um, so he's t- he taught a little course on everything you need to know about the spiritual battle. And, uh, and like I said, all the, all the proceeds from that course will go directly to his mission there in Haiti. So, uh, it, you can find it at the same place where you can find my, my course on, uh, Catholic mindfulness. It's catholicmindfulness.com. And, um, and you'll see it there. It's pretty obvious which one is the spiritual battle course for him. Fantastic. That sounds awesome. All right. Final question. Uh, Dr. Greg Bataro, what gives you hope? <laughs> Jesus has conquered. <laughs> we, we, this thing is all. What gives me hope is that we've been promised, and I believe it. That this is all. This is all just a, a work in progress and a story unfolding. But the end has already been told to us. Amen. Amen. Well, let us cling to that. Um, so, thanks, man, so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great talking with you. I'd be happy to uh, do it anytime. Absolutely. All right. Well, God bless. God bless you too. Super. Another show done. I prayed that it helped you clear up any confusion about mindfulness and the do's and don'ts with the practice. Thanks for listening. And stay tuned because my next few episodes are going to be a relationship mini-series. I'm focusing on dating advice, pornography's impact on discernment, and prayer in marriage. Some very helpful advice is coming your way to help you find hope in your romantic relationships. Subscribe or follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Mario Sacasa so you don't miss out when these episodes are released. God bless and be good. Mm-hmm.